Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path, where we share a modern take on timeless wisdom to help you develop unshakable inner peace so that you can live a liberated life. I'm your host, Victor Pierantoni, founder, head coach, and trainer over at Zen Stoic. Be sure to follow me on social at Victor at Zen Stoic for updates, content, and to ask me directly your most important questions. Let's get into the show. So I wanted to start this episode out by answering a question that I do get asked quite frequently, which is how and why I got started in coaching. Now, there are many, many elements to the story. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that a lot of my inspiration for this work came from the death of my mom when I was seven years old and for my ability to help people to overcome and fully process their emotions so that they can live liberated. So that was a big element to the story. But the catalyst for what really started me on this path was a bit of a different story that I may have told in the past, but I'll retell it today. So when I was back in university, I had a best friend who was born with a mild case of cerebral palsy. So you wouldn't be able to tell unless you saw him walking, but his left leg would turn in, the muscles would turn in and would cause a little bit of a limp when he walked. Now, he was one of the most confident and charismatic people that I'd ever met, and I really, really admired him, not just in who he was as a person, but in his leadership and his ability to get people laughing and put smiles on people's face and make people feel good about themselves. So him and I, we would always have these long philosophical talks with one another, and sometimes we would end up venting to one another about the difficulties that we had in our lives and the things that we were going through. And there was one night where he was venting in a particularly intense way. He kept saying to me, my left leg is my curse. My left leg is my curse. Talking about the leg that was affected by the cerebral palsy. And I remember at the time I had no coaching skills whatsoever. The only thing I did have was a lot of care for my friend and not wanting to see him in pain. And the one book that I had read at that point in my journey was the four agreements. And I remember the four agreements really, really intensely because it was the only thing that I had when I was working for my grandfather, working in an electronics company on a production line. I was not allowed to talk to anybody while I was working. I just had to sit, sit there and do the repetitive work of working on the electronics. And I had the saving grace of having this one book on my iPod Nano. I had this green iPod Nano that I got to listen to every day. And I had my music on there, but I also had the four agreements. So I'd listen to it over and over and over again. And that became the foundation of my knowledge around helping people to transform and create a sense of personal freedom. And I remember the first agreement of that book of the four agreements, which is to be impeccable with your word. Now, impeccable comes from the Latin word peccatos, which means to sin or to go against oneself. So Anytime that we are using our word against ourselves and others, we are not being impeccable with our word and we are actually causing harm to ourselves. We're not serving ourselves and we're not serving others. So when my best friend was telling me that his left leg was his curse, I realized that he was not being impeccable with his word. He was using his word to disempower himself. He was using his word to further put himself into a victimhood mentality about his condition that he was experiencing through his life. And I remember I asked him one question that changed everything. And I said, what if your left leg wasn't your curse? What if it was a gift? What if it was the gift that made you who you are? And I remember he just stopped in his tracks and had never even thought about it that way. And he started looking at his left leg as his gift for what made him unique, what made him who he was. And from that moment, he transformed his life in a profound way. See, when I originally met him, he couldn't do a body weight squat. He was very scrawny. He didn't have a lot of muscle because athletics were actually very difficult for him. 
But when I had asked him that question, it changed the way that he thought about himself and the way that he thought about life. So within 10 months, he had put on 35 pounds of muscle and went from not being able to do a bodyweight squat to being able to squat with a barbell and a plate on each side. And this all came from asking a new question, from changing the way that he was using his words in service of himself rather than against himself. And not only that, but he started to become happier. He had more self-esteem. It wasn't just that he was charismatic anymore on the surface, but he was internally congruent with who he was. He loved and accepted himself and started to draw healthy boundaries, whereas before it wasn't as easy for him to do. And he really started to become who he was by exploring the aspects of himself that was truly a gift rather than thinking that it was a curse. So his whole internal world changed and the external results followed. So he didn't only transform his body, but he became an entrepreneur and started many businesses, one of which did over a million dollars in a six-month period, which absolutely blew me away because when I saw him and the way that he was operating after he started asking himself this new question, after he started talking to himself differently, it just really blew my mind because I asked myself, what was that there? What exactly happened that actually allowed him to create that shift? Whatever that was, I want to do that for more people. And that is where the inspiration of becoming a coach came from, right? I always wanted to help people. I was always fascinated with this idea of helping myself process my emotions and look at life differently, speak to myself differently, treat myself better. But I had never actually done it for another person until that moment. And so at the time, I had no idea what a coach was. I didn't know that that was even something that you could do for a living. But I did know that the feeling that I got when he had that breakthrough was the best thing that I'd ever felt. And it all came down to just changing the way that he spoke to himself, changing the question that he was asking himself. So this episode is a continuation of our Zen Stoic rendition of the Eightfold Path. And today we're going to be talking about integral speech, because the words that we use have the power to change our lives if we use them in the right direction, if we use them in a direction that not only serves us, but creates more sovereignty within ourselves, more options, opportunities, and choices for us to express ourselves in this life. So before we go into this, ask yourself, what would it be like if the words that you spoke became law in your universe? In other words, if what you spoke and how you described you wanted life to be became exactly the results that you created. If you had that power to use your words in such a way that you could create your desired results over and over, what would that be like? How would that impact the quality of your life? How would that impact the way that you use words? Well, in some ways, that is how it actually is. Now, things don't happen necessarily instantly. The words that we use do not merely describe the reality that we live in. They determine it. And the reason being is because the words that we use are how we shape our reality. The way that we describe it is ultimately going to be the way that we symbolize it in our minds. You see, we don't experience reality as objective. We all have our own subjective experiences. And if you remember in previous episodes, when we started this series of the Zen Stoic rendition of the Eightfold Path, I talked about this idea of perception is projection. The human brain can process 126 bits of information per second, but in the modern age, we get hit with about 11 million bits of information per second. And so this is very much like if I handed you 126 toothpicks, 126 toothpicks you could handle, you could fathom what that would look like, but 11 million toothpicks is more than we can process. 
And because of that, we have to filter it out. So we delete, we distort, and we generalize. And when we delete, distort, we generalize, that is how we actually filter out the information and what determines what we actually notice in our reality. So if you think about that, the question is, well, what determines how we filter it? And it is our beliefs, values, and attitudes about life that actually give way to our filtration system of the information that is coming in. So in other words, we are not necessarily seeing life objectively. We are seeing ourselves in everything and everyone in all of these situations. So with that being said, the way that we describe our reality is going to be part of that filter. So the words that we use have power to show us what we're actually going to end up noticing in the world. So this is really key to understand because the way that we use our words is ultimately going to determine the quality of our lives, which is why integral speech is so important. We use our words day to day with ourselves in our own internal dialogue. We use our words with other people to communicate. We communicate the quality of our circumstances or our situation using words. So if we're using our words against ourselves and we're describing things in a way that is disempowering, then what we're going to notice in the outside world is evidence that will continue to disempower us because we are fueling it with the words that are actually creating and supporting that reality. So let's begin by talking about the original Eightfold Path and right speech and exactly what that meant. So in the original Eightfold Path, there were four elements to right speech. The first one was to avoid being divisive, to not use our speech to divide or disconnect from other people. The second one was not to be abusive with our speech. So in other words, not to use our word against ourselves and others, not to create abuse with that, not to try to intend to hurt somebody or use our words coming from a place of malice. The third one was to avoid gossip. So to avoid engaging in essentially the junk food of conversation being gossip and simply talking about people behind their backs or talking about other people's situations. And then the fourth one was to avoid lying and to instead be speaking truthfully, not to speak dishonestly. Now, just like in the previous episode, when we talked about the original right action, these four elements of right speech are all negations. They're saying what not to do. So when it comes to the integral speech of the Zen Stoic Eightfold Path, we're going to talk about what is called liberated speech, which are the four elements that allow a person to use liberated speech. In other words, the active side of the original Eightfold Path right speech. So here they are. The first one is to express harmoniously. So instead of being divisive with our speech, we want to express speech and speak in a way that creates more harmony rather than division. So one of the ways that we speak with harmony is to actually become better listeners and to be more attuned to the needs and emotions of others. The more empathy that we have and the more we're actually able to listen to another person's point of view, the more harmoniously we're going to be able to speak. Because instead of trying to just get out what we feel and what we need to say, we'll actually speak with a sense of harmony in the sense that we're taking into consideration what another person might be going through. So this is using empathy and compassion in speech. When we speak harmoniously, we allow others to feel safe, heard, and understood in our presence. We're speaking with consideration to what they might be going through, what they might be feeling, which is really important. As a human being, when we feel safe, heard and understood when somebody else is speaking to us, it allows us to actually open up more and connect more with that person. So when it comes to being harmonious in our expression, it's not just about saying nice things or just avoiding rocking the boat when it comes to your, your dialogue, but instead it's more like having empathy and consideration for others when you are speaking to them, right? Using empathy, using compassion, being considerate of what somebody else might be experiencing. 
And this can sometimes be difficult because a lot of the time we just have our own thoughts on our minds, our own grievances with the world, our own stresses, and we just want to project that out onto other people. We're speaking harmoniously. We're doing a better job at getting more attuned to what somebody else might be experiencing. The next part here is to express admiration. Now, expressing admiration is going a step further, right? So it's not only being empathetic and kind to people in the way that we speak, but if we express admiration, this can actively help bring the best out in somebody. Early in my coaching career, one belief that really helped me was that I, I really believed to myself that I can be a teacher, a student, or a peer to anyone that I coach. And this really helped me because when I was coaching for Tony Robbins, I remember I was the youngest coach in the company at the time. And I would have clients who were much more experienced than I was in life and in business. But if I went into it with a mindset that I can't teach anybody anything, then I wouldn't be able to actually actively help them. And on the other side, if I was talking to somebody who was just in a chaotic state of being in their lives, then I also wouldn't be able to reach them. So I went in with this belief that I can be a teacher, a student, or a peer to anybody that I work with. And because of that, I was able to connect with much more people. And it led me into being able to express genuine admiration in others because I was looking at this through a lens of how can I speak to the best in this person? And by speaking to the best in them, I can draw out the best in them. So I was able to help these clients really awaken the best parts of themselves by speaking to the best in themselves. And that comes from expressing genuine admiration. This is not the same as flattery. When we express admiration, we are speaking beyond where somebody is at right now and into what they could be, into what we see in them. And as a coach or as anybody who wants to help make a change in somebody else or influence a positive change, we need to aim higher than just getting them to be in agreement with us. We need to aim higher than that and see them as better than they are so that we can speak to that part of them and draw that out and inspire them. Next is to express meaningfully. So this would be the active side of avoiding gossip. When we're speaking with gossip, we're not speaking about anything meaningfully. We're just speaking about other people. We are spreading gossip as a form of entertainment, as a form of unhealthy indulgence. Again, it's kind of like the junk food of conversation, right? Sometimes it feels good to gossip and it can be fun, but at the same time, what we're actually doing is we're spreading things that are potentially not true and spreading things that are not really meaningful to us. And so instead of gossiping, what we want to do is express meaningfully, right? Not necessarily talk about people and current events and things that we can't do anything about, but speak about things that really mean something to us, right? Discuss our ideas with somebody, discuss the things that we really enjoy, discuss the things that really bring us a, you know, a sense of aliveness within ourselves. That is what it is to express meaningfully. Fourth one would be to express sincerely or to express truthfully, which would be the opposite of lying. Now, this one is really important because what we want to do is we want to express ourselves to what we actually think and feel to some. Now, that can be done in a way that comes off as blunt, which is not the same thing as expressing sincerely. We might be truthful about what we're saying, but then maybe we're being abusive with our speech or maybe we're being divisive with our speech. So we're not actually embodying the previous ones that are in this list. Instead, when we express truthfully and we express sincerely, what we're actually doing is we're speaking to what our actual feelings are. But if we do it simultaneously by adhering to the previous parts that we discussed, like expressing 
uh, harmoniously or expressing admiration or expressing meaningfully, then we'll express ourselves in a way that is direct, but not necessarily blunt. So when we're being sincere and truthful, we're being direct with our speech, but we're not being blunt with it. The way that you can look at this is like being direct is like shooting an arrow, whereas being blunt is like shooting a bazooka. Now, if you're just trying to hit a single target without destroying everything else around it, then an arrow is going to be the most appropriate thing to use. But instead, if you shoot a rocket, then you're going to not only hit your target, but you're going to destroy everything else around it and create collateral damage. This same thing happens in conversation if we are truthful, but we are not disciplined in the way that we deliver our message so that the other person can actually hear and receive that message. So we want to take that into consideration in order to express with liberated speech. Now, the second part of this is not just having liberated speech and speaking in a way that is harmonious, that is admiring, that is meaningful, and that is sincere with others, but also using what is called sovereign speech. Now, sovereign speech is going back to another theme that we covered where it is to either be at the cause of your life or at the effect. Now, just to recap on what that is, is when we are at cause, we are totally empowered by taking responsibility for all of our choices, conscious and unconscious, that brought us to this point today. Now, being responsible for our choices doesn't mean that things are our fault or that we're blaming ourselves. What it means is that we're taking ownership for our decisions, for our choices that brought us to this exact moment, to these exact circumstances today. And when we take responsibility, if you look at the word responsibility, it is the ability to respond. So if we have the ability to respond to our situation, we get that by being at the cause of our lives. Whereas being at the effect is for us to be essentially in the passenger seat of our lives and waiting for permission. It is by blaming everything and everyone around us for the circumstances or for the life situation that we're currently experiencing. So we want to be at cause with our speech, not at the effect. The easiest way to tell whether you're at cause or effect in any situation, life or any circumstance is, do you have results or do you have reasons why you don't have the results? And it's very simple, right? You can not have the results, but be on your way to creating those results and totally committed to creating those results. And that would be being at cause or you could not have the results and have a bunch of reasons and justifications why you don't have the results that you want, and therefore you'd be at the effect. So we sometimes will hypnotize ourselves into being at the effect by simply the words that we choose, the words that we end up expressing ourselves with. So one way to look at it is like this. This is something that I picked up on over doing thousands of coaching calls. And what I hear people say when they're talking about their goals or the things that needed to get done in order to accomplish those goals, they say things like, I have to X. And they'd say, I have to do this. I have to meditate in the morning. I have to do a workout in the morning. I have to work on my business. I have to read. And I have to, I have to, I have to. Which when we use those words, we're actually putting ourselves at the effect because we are implying that we don't have a choice in the matter. So instead of saying, I have to, we can switch that out with, I get to. And when you use, I get to, you're actually using a sense of embrace, appreciation, and gratitude in what you get to do. Many people will think that I have to go to this job that I don't like. But the reality is that you get to go to the job. Now, if you don't like it, you can get at cause for that and begin taking steps towards that. But if we say, I have to, then we condition ourselves into believing that we don't have a choice in the matter and we completely disempower ourselves. The next thing that people might say sometimes is I want to or I need to. Now, when we say I want to or I need to, what is actually happening is we are expressing the lack of having something. We are expressing the lack of something that we feel that we desire or that we need. Instead of saying I want to or I need to, what we want to say instead is I choose to. 
If you use I choose to, you're putting yourself back at cause, back in the driver's seat and taking ownership of the thing that you want to create, the experience that you seek to create in your life. So I choose to instead of I want to or I need to. The next one is my favorite one, which is I should. Now I should is a really interesting phrase that we like to use in conversation because I should is actually a performance oriented form of expression. It's performance-oriented speech because what we're doing is we are basically communicating that we believe that this thing that we're saying I should, right? If I, if maybe I'm saying I should meditate or I should work out once a day or, you know, five times a week or whatever the case is, if we're saying I should, then what we're doing is we're saying that I believe this thing is important, but I'm not actually going to do it. I'm not actually committed to doing it. So we say I should to sometimes let ourselves know or let the other person know that we're talking to that, yes, I believe this is important, but I'm also not going to do it. So instead of saying I should, if you're going to do something, then you say I will. And if you're not going to do something, say I won't do this or I'm not going to do this. I should is keeping ourselves on the fence of acknowledging the importance of something, but also simultaneously telling ourselves that we're not going to do it which is ultimately disempowering. It's a way of kind of judging ourselves by saying I should. So it's either I'm not going to do this or I will do this. Pretty simple. If we say I will and we actually go and do it and take the action towards it, then we're completing a promise with ourselves. We're building more self-trust, self-respect, and self-credibility rather than saying I should and keeping ourselves in this loop of not respecting ourselves, not fulfilling our promise to ourselves, and yet acknowledging the things that need to be done yet we won't actually do them. So instead, say I will or I won't. And lastly, there is X makes me. So like he makes me feel sad or uh, such and such circumstance, this event made me feel scared or this event made me feel angry or this person made me feel angry. Anytime we say X makes me and then insert the feeling, what we're doing is we're casting power over to an event or a circumstance or we are maybe casting blame to ourselves and like a false story that we might have about ourselves. So anytime we say X makes me, what we're doing is we're casting our power away and we're putting ourselves at the effect with our speech. So instead of saying X makes me feel, what we would do instead is take ownership of those feelings and acknowledge those feelings by saying very simply, I feel. If we say I feel and we actually feel our feelings, we acknowledge our emotions, we acknowledge what's happening there, that's us getting at cause. Whether we have positive or negative feelings, it is okay to have feelings and it's okay to feel what we feel and it's okay to not even want to change what we feel. It's not about having to always change your emotions to a positive state or trying to deny your emotions or throw them away. It is about feeling your feelings and acknowledging and taking ownership of those feelings. So instead of saying X makes me feel, we would just say I feel and take the ownership of those. So with regards to sovereign speech, we want to go from I have to, to I get to, I want to slash need to, to I choose to, I should to, I will, and X makes me to, I feel. All of those are how we take ownership of what we feel, or how we take ownership of what we are going to do and the way that we keep promises to ourselves, and the way that we speak to ourselves in a manner that is actually creating more sovereignty, more free will. We want to use our language to create more options, to create more sovereignty, to really champion our free will, which is our nature as human beings. And we want to remember to use words that actually empower us rather than disempower us. Every time we use words, what we're doing is we're actually creating unconscious symbols in our minds, and our minds are going to follow those unconscious symbols. Remember, we don't experience reality objectively, we experience it subjectively. And the way that we do that is we create these internal representations of reality 
in our own minds and we follow those things. So if we use words that create disempowerment, like the story I talked about in the beginning, if we use words like this is my curse, like my friend was using, then we're going to create these internal symbols that are going to create essentially a darker or more disempowering way of life versus when we say this is my gift, that's a much more empowering word. That's a much more empowering way to speak to ourselves, to others. So we want to remember that every time we use a word, we're creating unconscious symbols, unconscious uh, pictures of reality that we are actually experiencing and following. So it's one, it's like one of my mentors, Dr. Mario said, the words we use construct the house that we live in. So we want to use words that create empowerment. We want to create use words that create more sovereignty in our lives, more free will, more choice. And we want to use our words in a way that create liberated speech so that we are speaking harmoniously, so that we are speaking meaningfully so that we are speaking with admiration and that we are speaking truthfully. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to use your words very specifically and very consciously so that you are building a life and a reality that you actually desire to create rather than using the words unconsciously, which is ultimately going to create a disempowered life. And I'll end this episode with one of my, one of my favorite quotes from John Danaher, who is arguably the greatest jujitsu coach in the world, where he said, the more precise you are with your descriptions, the more precise you are with your movements. And that is just as true with the words that we use. The more precise and conscious we are with our words, the more precise and conscious we will be with our actions, and the closer our actions will help yield the results that we genuinely desire to experience in our world. So use your words in a way that is liberated. Use your words in a way that creates more sovereignty and empowerment, more choices and opportunity for you as an individual. And use your words in a way that bring up other people. This is what it is to have integral speech. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If this inspired you or you feel like this would be helpful to somebody that you care about, definitely share the episode, leave a review. This is how the show grows and this is how these ideas spread. So thanks so much for listening and I'll see you on the next one.